0: Good morning, New Life Manitou. I hear you guys are called manitoids. Is that correct? I'm not sure. Yes. Um. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, My name is Josh Caldwell. I'm obviously not Pastor Brett Davis or uh, the Reverend Dr. Joe Kirkendall, but uh, I'm Josh Caldwell, and I work up. uh, one of the pastors up at New Life North. I oversee the young adult ministry over there as well as serve in some of our congregations here. And I'm thrilled to be here uh, at New Life Manitou. This is my wife, Jacy and I's first time here. And uh, we are thrilled. There is an energy and a life and a zest that you guys have, and it's beautiful. So thank you for welcoming us so well. Thank you for uh, uh, inviting me and allowing me to share with you. This morning, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not only excited to be here with you, but I'm also excited because of the season that we, as the church at large, are entering into. And uh, it's a season marked by preparation. It's a season marked by anticipation. It's a season marked by longing. It is the season of Advent. And uh, it's it's important to point out, I think, that we as the church, uh, as we, you know, move from Thanksgiving and into this season, we're not just looking ahead to the celebration of one day, Christmas Day, but we're a people who engage in a season, an observance of a season of waiting, a season of anticipation, a season of longing. And so, this Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, the first of four Sundays through December, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful season we're entering into. And uh, again, preparation, anticipation, but specifically I think what this Advent season is known for is a season of waiting. And so this morning for our first week of our Advent series that's happening across the congregations here at New Life Church, uh, I, wanna, I wanna talk about waiting and the role that that plays in our life of faith today uh, and our identity as a people of waiting. And so I wanna title this morning's message This Season of Waiting. And uh, as we prepare... To begin, let's go to Luke chapter one here. The beginning of Luke's narrative. The place really to begin any Advent season. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to share a good amount of text here. We're going to read this through together, and uh, we're going to read first Luke 1, 5 to 17, and then we're going to jump over to 26 to 38. So we're going to read a story about four main characters here, and so I want you to kind of flag them in your minds uh, and mark them as we're uh, walking through this. But we're starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and then we'll pray and get going here. of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he uh, fear fell upon him, and the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. God is listening to you, he's leaning in, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and the power of Elijah, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient uh, to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now jump to verse 26 with me if you would. Then in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This sounds kind of odd. Why is this man greeting me this way? Discern what kind of greeting this might be. let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord, people of God. God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, who was hovering over the waters of creation, the same Holy Spirit who spoke through the prophets, The same Holy Spirit who conceived Jesus. The same Holy Spirit who breathed on and dwelled in the church. And the same Holy Spirit for century after century after century has shown up in gatherings such as this. You Holy Spirit we believe are here. And if you're not here then this is cute at best. These are just some nice songs and some nice conversations we're having. But if you're here Holy Spirit then this can be more. If you're here, Holy Spirit, these songs can be more. If you're here, Holy Spirit, these words can be more. If you're here, then this bread and this cup and this sacrament that we're about to partake of can be more, and indeed, we believe that it is, and you are here. And so we're asking you, Holy Spirit, that as we sit under your scriptures and as we observe this first week of Advent, And as we posture our hearts and prepare to make space for you this season and in the seasons to come, we pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us profoundly. Speak to us uniquely. Speak to us as a communal people of God and speak to us individually. And would you give us the bread and the water for today's journey? We invite you. Come, speak. Make all that we have and make it more. And we love you and we pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and the people of Manitou said... Amen and a loud amen. Um, This past Thursday for Thanksgiving, my wife, JC, and I hosted my family for the very first time. (laughs) And uh, we were newbies to the hosting game. So uh, a number of you might be used to the hosting game. You may have those muscles worked up. We did not. And so we came in uh, and, and just assumed it might be this small thing. It was not a small thing. I have a big family. JC has a big family. And we hosted both of our families. JC's family over the weekend, spending the night, my family Thanksgiving Day. And very quickly, we realized how much preparation w- goes into Thanksgiving and how much communication. I mean, the family text thread was off the hook, like 80 messages talking about who's bringing what dish, how those dishes are gonna be prepared, what time everybody's coming over, all the details, right? And so details, details, details. Finally, the morning of Thanksgiving comes and we found ourselves waiting, waiting for company to come. And I actually very early on found Thanksgiving day, uh, interestingly enough, to be a day of waiting thing after thing after thing. First, we were waiting for family to come, and they come. All right, great, let's eat. Nope, we're waiting for the meal. And then after the meal, we're waiting for desserts. And then after dessert, we're waiting for the next football game. And the introvert that I am, uh, after the meal and football and all that, I'm waiting for people to leave. I'm ready to have my space. I'm ready to crawl into a dark corner of the house and regain some energy. Uh, But Thanksgiving, uniquely and interestingly enough, it was a day of waiting. It afforded us many opportunities to wait. Well, Luke here begins his narrative with four main characters. There's Zechariah, and there's Elizabeth, and there's Joseph, and there's Mary, all of which are what? Waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting for a child. Uh, And they've been waiting, we can assume, for a very long time, uh, almost to the point of losing hope, where in their old age, they've tried and they've tried and they've prayed and they've longed for a baby and it hasn't come, they are waiting. Mary and Joseph, the bright-eyed youngsters that they are, they're waiting for what? Marriage, a wedding, they're waiting to get married. And in this waiting, we see God meet these waiting people and extend a unique and specific blessedness to them. Uh, To Zechariah and to Elizabeth, there's the blessedness of them bearing the forerunner of the Messiah, that is John the Baptist. Uh, And to Joseph and Mary, we see the blessedness bestowed on them, the even greater blessedness of bearing who? The Messiah, Jesus Christ the only Son of God. And so this Advent story begins with four people waiting. Waiting, waiting, waiting. The story of Advent begins with waiting. For us, waiting is a difficult concept to talk about, let alone practice, isn't it? Uh, In fact, we as a society have invented ways to alleviate and eliminate waiting. Amazon Prime. (laughs) right the microwave fast food instacart for those of you who haven't used instacart it's amazing you get your groceries delivered right to your door like all these things that we create the airplane right instead of taking a 16-hour car ride now we can jump in a plane and go two hours and we're there at our destination these things these inventions that we've created as a society why to eliminate waiting time we don't like waiting there's a common understanding of waiting and a common view that waiting is a hindrance to our success, right? If you're in a career and you're told you can't get this position yet, wait. That's a hindrance. We can view that as, oh, why am I waiting? What's the big deal? Come on, promote me, let's go. Uh, We can view waiting as wasted time. We can view waiting uh, as really a a jail sentence or a banishment to the desert of sterility where nothing grows, this waiting room. Sometimes we may even conjure up uh, images of a waiting room at the dentist office where you're waiting for the root canal and you're sitting there and it's that, oh, I just want this to be over. Can I just go in waiting, waiting? We don't like Waiting. And yet this morning, I wanna suggest that we as the people of God need to get pretty comfortable with waiting that we're called to wait, that the story of Advent, the story of our Lord Jesus Christ, the story of the church and God's redemption of the uh, earth as it is, is a story of waiting. It's a story of longing, it's a story where the people of God uh, position and posture their hearts and they're praying, come Lord Jesus and come quickly, come O Lord, ransom us, come. When will you come, O God? It's the story that we've inherited as the people of God of waiting. See, the people of God has, have always been a people of waiting, a people of faith and a people of trust, but a people of waiting. Go to the beginning uh, with me, if you will, back to uh, the fall. In Genesis three, where Adam and Eve take of the fruit, they seize the fruit and their sin seizes them. And they usher in this reign of chaos where the good order of Yahweh that was established in Genesis one and two and the good identity and the good calling that Yahweh gave to Adam and Eve, go be fruitful and multiply. That's a pretty good deal, right? And then go rule. Uh, Put yourselves over creation, you are my ambassadors, be fruitful, multiply, rule the earth, it's yours. And then they disobey and they cast the whole cosmos into chaos. And then uh, a while later, centuries later, this man named Abraham is called out of the desert and God says, through you all nations of the world will be blessed. And Abraham and his wife Sarah were old, and they were trying to have a baby, very similar to Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're we're hearing similar language here. And Abraham and Sarah are longing, and they're waiting for this child. They're waiting for the promise of God, because it's not just a child, but it is the child who would bear forth a nation that Yahweh promised them. It's the child that would would be their offspring, a child that would rule, a child that would eventually bring the Messiah. And so they're waiting, 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 and they have the baby, and it's Isaac. and Isaac has a son, and his name is Jacob. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they serve as the patriarchs of Israel. And through them, this nation of Israel comes forth, and they find themselves, the people of Israel, where? In Egypt, under slave slavery, oppression by the Egyptians. And they were waiting 400 years. God, God, Yahweh, you ransomed us uh, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now we're here in, in Egypt. What is going on waiting? And then Yahweh raises up a deliverer, Moses, and Moses leads the people to the promised land. But in route, they had to wait, waiting for 40 years because of their disobedience, circling and circling and circling. Finally, they get to the promised land, and because of their disobedience, they're exiled, and they're forced to wait again 70 years in exile under the hand of the Babylonians and the Assyrians, waiting, longing, oh God, when will you bring us back to our land? Where will you, where, when will you bring us back to the land of flourishing, the land where we can live under your rule as your people, waiting, waiting. Finally, they return to the land and the, the Old Testament concludes with the promise that the forerunner is coming the forerunner to the Messiah. Malachi 4, Uh, Yahweh promises the people of God there is a prophet coming bearing the spirit of Elijah and he's coming to make the way. And then the Old Testament concludes and what? 400 years of silence, waiting, where are you God? You promised the Messiah. You promised us. You've been faithful to your word up until now, and we're still waiting. And then Jesus comes on the scene in these very obscure situations where angels are said to be appearing to people, and angels are said to be appearing in the sky before the shepherds, and these magi are coming, and who is this baby who is called the king of the Jews? And it's Jesus, and Jesus grows up and he performs miracles, and he preaches the gospel of the kingdom, and he heals the sick, and he raises the dead, and he's crucified and raises, but before he ascends, he says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, I will come back for you, and he ascends, and now the church for the last 2,000 years have been doing what? Waiting. Jesus, come quickly. We're a people of waiting. And contrary to popular belief sometimes, uh, saying yes to Jesus does not mean that now we don't have to wait any longer. The saying yes to Jesus is not some magic button that we press and all of a sudden these things in life that we're longing for happen, but instead I wanna suggest that to say yes to Jesus is to sign up for a long journey of faith and waiting then when we put our faith in Jesus and when we pledge our allegiance to Jesus and when we give the entirety of our lives to Jesus, we are saying yes to a promise. We are receiving a promise and we're saying yes to a commitment to journey and to walk the long road. Psalm 23, yes there's green pastures and there's still waters, but there's also the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus himself said in this world you will have trouble. The life of faith is a life of pilgrimage. The life of faith is a journey and in this journey we as the people of God are called to wait, to be faithful and to be patient and to long for the rule of Yahweh to come anew and everything that Jesus started that it would come to fruition. Uh, This waiting however is not a passive kind of waiting. I think sometimes we can think of waiting and we think waiting is lax. Uh, Sometimes we even think of lethargic waiting, just okay, waiting for this thing to kind of drop in my lap and just just, let's do it. Instead, I wanna suggest that waiting is active. Uh, the great Saint Henry Nouwen said, said it this way, waiting in action, that there is a posture of the heart. There is a, a life devoted to movement in the waiting. Go back with me to our Thanksgiving story, right? What JC and I did not do is uh, wait and sit on the couch and watch the Macy's Day Parade in our pajamas and not shower and not cook food and just sit there and yeah, come on in guys, we'll get food, when we get food, whatever. Instead, what was our waiting? It was preparation, right? Company was coming and there was work to be done, which meant that JC cooked food, which meant that I went outside and I I shoveled our snow off of our steps, which meant that I took a shower, I cleaned up, I got ready for company. There was work to be done in the waiting. And this waiting that we're called to as the people of God is not this passivity where we kind of just, you know, we've checked the box, I've said yes to Jesus, and now all I have to do is kind of just live idly as I wait for the great by and by. I just kick back, play golf every day, who cares? Instead, we're called uh, to press in We're called to live a life on the edge. We're called to live a life where our heart is postured towards the coming kingdom, where the kingdom of God has come uh, through Jesus, but it is coming, and every day we're seeing the kingdom advance. We're seeing the, the gospel go to the nations of the earth. We're seeing the sick healed. We're seeing people come into salvation. This is the way of the kingdom, and so we as the people of God in our waiting are called to posture ourselves and to fight for this to not give up, as the writer of Hebrews would say, on the gathering of the saints. We're to fight for purity and righteousness, washing the robes of our lives and maintaining purity so that we're waiting eagerly, expectant, not in dread or in fear, but in, in anticipation for the coming kingdom of God, for Jesus to come anew, for the second advent. This is what it means to wait, to wait actively, not passively, but to wait, to posture our hearts um i have three kids my wife and i have three kids and uh we got a four-year-old rush uh, all boys by the way yeah pray for us uh, four-year-old rush a two-year-old ezra and a one-year-old jensen so at one point we had three under three and uh it was three under four three under four that was right um and our boys are beautiful and they're wonderful and i'll never forget the day that jc told me that she was pregnant for the first time we were six months married, and we were living in someone's basement in our early twenties with no money. How's that sound? Hey, we're pregnant. Okay, pretty much the worst possible <laughs> scenario for us. What? We're pregnant. Six months? Are you kidding me? How did this happen? And you're having those conversations, and you, you know. What? <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But. And so she's telling me we're pregnant, and it's these like emotions that are surging. But you know the the dominant emotion, what we were feeling? It was joy. It was, you've got to be kidding me. A baby? We're pregnant? Holy cow. This is amazing. And uh, that throw us into this living paradox where all of a sudden we had this profound sense of joy and wonder and excitement, like we're pregnant, we're having a baby, this is amazing. And yet, life had come, but it hadn't. There was life in her womb, and we were expecting something, but that life hadn't yet come. And so we were caught in this, as is the case with any pregnancy or any waiting for a job or, or an occupational or vocational move. It's this, like, this lack of equilibrium kind of in this waiting place of, okay, it's happening, and we know it's happening, and there's excitement, and there's zest, and there's joy, and yet it hasn't happened yet, and we're forced to wait, and we're forced to be patient. And I remember that in those days of being pregnant with the first child, Rush, the second child, Ezra, the third child, Jensen, um, we did not wait passively. We didn't just sit on the couch and yeah, we'll get the nursery done when we get it done. Instead, um, girl was nesting like crazy, right? (laughs) JC was like moving furniture and, and putting couches, rearranging and buying cribs and like hanging those things that hang from the ceiling, I'm not sure what they're called. I'm going to keep going anyway. She's, just, she's hanging these things, and she's rearranging. For, she's doing the nesting thing. We were preparing. We were making space. We were making room. Why? Because life had come, and yet it was coming. We were about to, to participate and receive this life of this child. And uh, until the moment that J.C. gave birth, we were caught in this paradox of life had come and yet it had not come. And it's actually this language, interestingly enough, that the Apostle Paul uses of the life that we as believers now live uh, in between the now and the not yet, in between the first advent and the second. Consider the words of Paul in Romans chapter eight. He says this in verse 18, For I consider And obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, here it is, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope That is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with. Patience. We, church, are the people of God who have our eyes open to the world. We're the people of God who have groaning in our hearts, who have fire shut up in our bones, who don't live this life idly and passively, waiting for the second coming of Jesus, but we're the people who, with all creation, all the cosmos, who's fallen and and depraved and that Jesus is going to redeem, we're longing with all creation, saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Jesus, come and ransom for yourself a people and bring us to fulfillment uh, with with the first thing that you started here in creation. We're the Christians who live on these days longing for all things to be made new. We're the people who spend our days crying, how long, O Lord, aren't we? Where the people who spend our days crying, How long, O Lord, will injustice reign? How long, O Lord, will precious life be lost to stabbings and shootings and terrorism? How long, O Lord, will systemic racism persist? How long, O Lord, will people be oppressed on this earth? How long, Jesus, come quickly? And it's in these prayers that we groan with all creation. And our waiting actually looks like the groan. It looks like entering into the ache with all creation. It looks like action it looks like pressing in and you know the world has a number of different answers of how this problem of evil will be remedied Uh, But we as the people of God have a different answer. You see, globalization can't make all things new. Our self-actualization can't make all things new. Our next president can't make all things new. We're not waiting for these things. We as Christians are not waiting for karma, good fortune, or a mere change of circumstance, but we are waiting for a person with a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. We as the people of God have our eyes open to the wounds of the world and see the world as Wolterstorff, the great theologian would say through the eyes of tears we're longing and we're grieving with all creation not for a mere change of circumstances but for a person with the name Jesus Christ we're waiting for Jesus to come in our story today we're waiting for Jesus to come bring the prodigals home in our lives that son that daughter that brother that sister that friend that neighbor coworker. We're waiting for Jesus to break in, rend the heavens and come down and redeem the prodigal. We're waiting for Jesus to heal that sickness that's plagued our body for years. We're waiting for Jesus to show up in the now. We're waiting for God to move the mountains and come down and move in our soul and situation now. We're waiting for Jesus to send provision, financial provision, when we just can't seem to make ends meet. We're waiting, waiting, waiting for Jesus. But more than all these things, I wanna suggest that we're waiting for Jesus to come again even more than right now, even even more in, in, in than in our concrete story. We're waiting for Jesus to return for the second advent. We're waiting for him to return where he will make all things right. We're waiting for him to return where he will glorify our mortal bodies. We're waiting for him to return to redeem that which is lost and redeem that which is broken and to, to beckon us and bring us up into eternal and uninhibited and unbroken relationship with him and to redeem our identity as those who have relationship with him and as those who rule the earth as ambassadors for him. That identity that was given in Genesis 1, that was fallen because of the great rebellion in Genesis 3, it's that identity that God will give us back anew in the fullness of time, in the eschaton, the end of the age, and it's Jesus that we long for. You see, we as the people of God have the conviction that Jesus alone satisfies the waiting soul and sets right the broken situations of the world. It's Jesus alone. Again, it's not a change of circumstances. It's not that promotion. Uh, it's not even that healing of our bodies, as great as that is and as holy as that is. We are waiting not for just circumstances. It's for Jesus. It's for a person with the name, and it's been the church for thousands of years who have called upon the name of Jesus and, se- and who have said, Jesus, only you can make things right. Only you can redeem this earth. Only you can set things as they should be, who can, re- who can redeem us, fully to you and who can restore all things to the earth as you see fit jesus is the object of our waiting jesus is the object of our adoration jesus is the object of our longing and we as the people of god i think are at our best when we're living in active anticipation and waiting saying come lord jesus You know, the early church, they had a a single Greek word that they used to use in their gatherings when they met together, just like this. Smaller settings like this, you know, house churches of 50 people. These people would come together around the Roman Empire, and they would say this one Greek word, Maranatha, which means, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, we recognize that our empire, the world in which we live is flawed. We recognize that there's brokenness. We recognize that there's rift and division in race and gender and these people that we live life with, our fellow man and our fellow woman. We realize that there is brokenness in this world and it's only you, Lord Jesus, who can make all things new and we're praying and we're asking for that and we're pleading for that and as we do that, we're entering in with the groan of all creation, the groan of the cosmos, Jesus, 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 the object of our waiting, Jesus, not a holiday, not a single day of the year that we observe, but Jesus, the person, the one whom we were made for, the one in whom we move and, and live and have our being, the one in whom all the prophetic scriptures were attesting to, the one in whom the church is living for, the one who alone has the power to make all things new, we are the people who groan and long and wait for Jesus and as the worship team prepares to come and the communion servers prepare to serve um, in this Advent season we're invited into something we're invited into uh, a posture not just an act but a posture of waiting We're invited into a participation with the church at large who's been at this for, again, 2,000 years, waiting, waiting, waiting. We're called and we're invited this morning into a life of waiting, active waiting, where our hearts are postured towards Jesus, open to the wounds of the world. And uh, as we prepare to take communion this morning, uh, it was the same Jesus who the church has been longing for, the same Jesus who came, this same Jesus who healed the sick, the same Jesus who raised the dead, the same Jesus who's given us the promise of full redemption. It's this same Jesus who came and sat his disciples down over dinner and over a meager meal of bread and wine. He looks at them in the eyes and he tells them again what's about to happen to him. And he tells them again that he's going to raise from the dead but he also tells them the end of the story i'm coming again right i'm dying for you this is my body broken for you this is my shed blood but as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me for you proclaim my death until i come see we as the people of god we don't just weather these days on the earth but we have the hope of the world to come. We know where this story is headed. We know the end of the story. And if we know the end of the story and we're anchored in the promise of that, then we can have hope in our waiting. Then we can have joy even in our waiting as we're longing for these specific areas for God to break through. and As we're longing for these areas for Jesus to show up, we're also longing for Jesus to come again in glory, to judge the living and the dead. And our fathers of old say that his kingdom will have no end And so it's this same Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave it to his disciples and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And on the same night, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my body, which is given for the remission of sins. And as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim my death until I come. So church, would you stand with me this morning as we prepare? We proclaim your death this morning, Lord Jesus. We believe that you will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. We believe that your kingdom will have no end. God, we're believing that we serve a God who has told us the end of the story. We believe that as we enter into the ache and as we posture ourselves with hopeful expectations and waiting, Lord, we trust. That you're at work in our lives today and that you are indeed coming quickly and so lord jesus we partake of this body and this blood in remembrance of you and as a proclamation that you are coming again and soon and we believe it in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit Uh, new life manitude these are the gifts of god given for the people of god come forward and receive communion